0: There's some good-ass chocolate. Shouts to Dick Taylor Craft Chocolate, their
1: brown butter nibs and sea salt flavor. Is that basic to be, like, really into, like, brown butter, though? Kind of, But it's brown butter and sea salt is is pretty good stuff.
0: Yeah, I kind of got into this chocolate phase. The more cacao, the better. (laughs) Low cacao, no interest for me. (laughs) But this is, yeah, this is a brown butter and with nibs and sea salt, 73% northerner blend. So you're a cacao guy. I'm a cacao guy. <laughs> I, I judge you if you uh, you're not into the cacao.
1: How much cacao is in uh, Hershey's? I don't know. It would be a, it would be a good metric to know, right? Yeah. If I'm if I'm about this craft chocolate life, this bougie chocolate life. I like how you're about it and not dismissive about it. You're not know, just like, nah I don't fuck with that shit.
0: What, Hershey's? Hershey's. Well, I, I need a baseline. But anyways, <laughs> it's Conversating, Episode 7. Today on the podcast, we have Kayla Jones. Yeah,
1: i um, really excited to have her on the podcast today. Um, she's a really good friend of mine. We knew each other back in college. Uh, but she's a commercial designer, an artist, and an absolute workaholic. In this episode, we talk about this idea of creating artwork and life balance and the process of shaping your identity through all of that. Um, I'm a queer
2: woman of color, so oftentimes capitalism is not accounting for me or like actively stomping on my face. And it's like, how do I counteract that and still get paid and still make dope work? It's a lot of hoops, but you can get through them.
0: Also in the conversation, we talk about the importance of representation. Uh, we can see that happening today with Black Panther, and we go into ideas of self-care, such as the importance of eating well and making
1: sure you have high-quality face masks to indulge in. Lots of them. Lots of them. <laughs> uh, we also just want to take a moment to shout out all of our listeners so far, especially the two of you in the United Kingdom and Japan. We hey. really we really appreciate that. <laughs> I didn't know our moms were in the UK and uh, Japan. You know, my mom went out for milk the other day. And uh, she must have gone to the UK.
0: Oh, okay. that's why she
1: came back with an accent. Yes. (laughs) So um, for all you guys, we really appreciate the support. If you know anyone else that might be interested in this, make sure to download the SoundCloud app and follow us. So Patrick. What's up? Two words. Uh Uh-huh.
0: Wakanda forever.
1: (laughs)
2: I think I've actually achieved in my age is like hating my voice less, and I can't tell if that's because I hear recorded versions of my voice more often because of like digital media, yeah, or if I've just grown up.
1: A little bit of both. John and a few other people have mentioned that I record well. You do. Thank you. And I always had a weird thing about recording my voice because one of the things my mom would do with us is well, she did this once. But it was like a rainy day and she was hanging out with me and my sister. She had a day off for some reason. And um, she was like, hey, let's record each other singing into this (laughs) boombox." My sister sings. Amazing. Uh Beautiful voice. Angelic. I sing. And then my mom stops the tape and she's like, oh, maybe we'll just, uh, (laughs) we just won't do that anymore. (laughs) Well, the funny thing was she had us listen back to it like a fucking masochist.
2: Your mom, like, basically had a mini version of, like, The Voice like, yeah, before that was a thing. Yeah, She was like, let me see what it's my like, kids can like, we don't have
1: cable, so <laughs> press play.
2: I had to listen. Well, had to. It was a privilege, but it was just intense. For my fellowship at YBCA, we had to listen to all of the cohorts projects. So mm-hmm. it was from 12 to 6, 34 presentations. I know. So like the people at the end. I'm sorry, guys. We yeah. were like toasted, yeah. and we had one half hour break.
1: The entire group audience was just you guys. Yeah,
2: and then that like that gets kind of
1: boring too. The just
2: YBCA like, folks. Yeah. yeah,
1: like having to listen to just like sort of the same thing over and over again.
2: There's a lot of variety in projects. Like the themes overlapped. Like oh. for the most part, everyone's a really smart, capable, cool artist person. So like it was engaging. Yeah. But anyway, one guy. He's Filipino, kid of immigrants. And he said he was helping his mom clean out the garage. And they were focusing on questions of truth. And he was like, the truth changes obviously depending on where you're standing. Mm -hmm. But he was thinking about it in the context of I guess his mom was saving like 60 Safeway paper bags (laughs) in like this bin and he was like okay like we gotta throw these out like this is garbage and he's like and I'm like you know like I'm raised here I'm like a minimalist and a designer and like I'm like why do you have these tubs of garbage sitting here and she's like no we might need those one day like we have to keep those and he was like she was ready to like cut me for this like bin of paper bags he's like meanwhile I'm digging through like this bin filled with tapes and some of them are like solid gold hits of 1985 and he like DJs and he's like oh that's so cool like I'm gonna take it and then he finds all these ones with him and his siblings names on it and it's when his dad hadn't immigrated yet and his mom was recording them talking and like basically love letters to send overseas and then the dad would respond so he has his whole parents relationship before they were living together in the US and like her like shaking him to get him to like talk as a baby and like your son was born and like here he is and him like crying he's like and his mom's like yeah we can throw that away uh, <laughs> and he's like so the Safeway bags were gonna keep <laughs> but my first cry that in yeah. like your love letters to my father and like our American immigrant story that's trash he was yeah. like it <laughs> makes no fucking sense so I guess he's like digitizing but he was like that it was just so weird like she was literally like not the Safeway bags
1: but the tapes were <laughs> like <laughs> you see son these. These are the old school Safeway logos? You can't throw away, you know, these are, you know, dead stock Safeway logos. These weren't made from recycled paper bags, these were just regular bags.
2: Well, I think her whole thing was like usefulness, right? Yeah, I don't have any use for old cassette tapes. I may need a paper bag, yeah, I'm not gonna need these painful memories. And to him, he's like. I'm in the reverse spot of like, right. this is our life and this is what matters. And like, why do we need bags?
1: Well, that's kind of like the difference in being raised an immigrant and then being raised an immigrant's son. Because yep. then it's like if you're an immigrant son, you're still trying to define like where your place is in all of that. Mm-hmm. And like what is truly your home? Because, I mean, I grew up in San Francisco, but there weren't a whole lot of other Filipinos other than like my extended family. You know, I mean, that sounds weird, but... Every Filipino person I knew was related to me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, but it's it, that's still, like, a small number of people comparatively to the total population of San Francisco. So it, while I can confidently say, oh, yeah, San Francisco is my home, it still wasn't truly mm-hmm. because it wasn't, like, where I came from. But for someone that lived it, I mean, it's easy for them to be sort of dismissive about it, right? Because it's like, well, I lived it, and not really see that disconnect there, you know? But um,
2: Are we supposed to be doing the thing? Because we're just talking, no?
1: Oh, that's how it goes. This okay. how we're recording? Okay. Everyone... (laughs) I almost want to like have to preface that now because this is how we always do it. Like
2: you just ease people in you don't go and go. You know,
1: because when we started doing these things we would be at our friends DJ nights and then we'd be like half drunk like having these like pretty interesting conversations. I'm not going to say they're amazing or say (laughs) that they were you know like groundbreaking or anything but it just like It it kept coming back to this idea that they were conversations that we should be having. Mm -hmm. But, you know, also, too, I think that in this format, it's so unassuming that the topics that our guests will naturally want to gravitate towards, they'll come up. We could talk about Family Guy for 30 minutes and we'll eventually come back to where we need to be. You know, (laughs) like that's what I've learned about it. That's like really, really awesome. But I want to go back to that thing about the tapes. I feel like that's a format that is perfect for that sort of thing. Because, you know, like his dad probably didn't have a tape player or like a VCR in the Philippines. Yeah. You know, and like VHS tapes are they were probably a shit ton to, to ship to the Philippines back then too. So just sending like a a
2: camcorder and like all of the things that were needed to make film, which we kind of take for granted now because it's on everyone's phone. Right. So it was, yeah, it was a low cost, easy way to do something that was more than writing.
1: Right. And I mean, I think in that era, you're sort of past writing a handwritten letter. Right. Or not you, but they were in that time. So that's just really interesting. And how it kind of goes back to like the present day. And she's like, that was nothing. That was just like an idea I had or not even like an idea I had. There's just, it just happened. That's
2: like know? when your mom tried to make you sing and then decided she didn't want to hear it
1: anymore.
0: Do you think their original intent was to document?
2: I think it was, I think probably a phone call. Cause if we're talking late eighties, I think a phone, I mean, this isn't my story to tell. Sure. So this is all speculation. Sure. A phone call probably cost a lot. Remember long distance? Sure. Long yeah, distance yeah, yeah. was the <laughs> extra charge we used to have.
0: Yeah.
2: Um to the Philippines was probably cost prohibitive. Mm-hmm. And I think the recording let her actually do something more visceral than like, yes, a handwritten letter. It yeah. was here's your here's the sound of my voice, here's the sound of your my kit our kids. Like I think that feels a little different. Yeah. Um when you can't speak on the phone. It kind of was making up for that
1: yeah but yeah it's kind of innate though right like it's not i wouldn't she wouldn't necessarily use the words documenting or like yeah or anything like that i think she. it's more so just like how do i get this message to someone which is which is a very common problem for creatives though too right mm-hmm. It's just how do how do you get that message across to somebody
2: well i think about that in terms of Oftentimes, if you're a creative, you work in a few different media, right? Mm -hmm. And everything going digital, having a phone at our disposal, having the internet, being able to upload things to SoundCloud or YouTube. There is this question of what is the right medium for this message or this conversation or this work, because it often can exist throughout several. I think our work as discerning creatives is to determine which one has the most impact, but it might not stop there. right? Um, And so, yeah, I can see her being like, it needs to have like the human sound of my voice. Right. So yeah. it needs to be more than writing, but it also still has to be like practical.
0: Yeah. yeah. In a sense. Yeah. You know, when I started making like little mixes, I, I stumbled upon tapes of my mom recording, trying to get me to talk. Mm-hmm. It's just like 20 minutes of her going, say mama, <laughs> say dada. You know, like,
2: Did you just put a sick beat behind that? I, know. <laughs> I can, I can, yeah, really yeah, cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. They
0: yeah. mama, <laughs> they dad. I don't <laughs> know where those tapes are anymore. And it, it wasn't until you talked about this story that I just remembered oh, shit my mom did the same thing. It was looking at
1: the look under the wawa bags. I know
0: yeah. exactly. <laughs> But see, I think it's a possibility somewhere in like a move my mom might have tossed them. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering, did she forget she did this or. And this is obviously a conversation I have to have with my mother, but. Um, <laughs> hi, mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where you put those tapes, mom? Was, uh, <laughs> you didn't know you were recording a genius. Um, <laughs> No, um
2: no, she did. That's why she spent 20 minutes. 20 <laughs> minutes. 20 minutes.
0: It was actually front and back, and you recorded at the slow speed, so 60 mm. minutes. Mm-hmm. 60. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I I was wondering about that because I, I can imagine today my mom having the same reaction. Oh, those are just old tapes. You can toss them out. I'm wondering if when you get older, do you lose that sense uh do you lose that magic a little bit?
2: Yeah, um I think I can't speak for the older generation about like what matters or what becomes nostalgic yeah. but there is an interesting thing especially as like I feel like trend loops start to get smaller and smaller and smaller uh-huh. where it's like analog comes back and it's hip right. again right so like the resurgence of like instant film is a major one where everyone was like film is dead particularly uh-huh. Polaroid we're never gonna like want to use this again we're uh-huh. not even gonna make it anymore and then suddenly it becomes really hip and cool and everyone wants an Instax camera a Polaroid camera and like that's Something that's back in a big way, right? Um, and I think about when Instagram first launched, and one of the reasons I was a really slow adopter is the main thing was like filters to make your photos look vintage,
0: right, right, right.
2: So it is like what and what will come back, or like right. record stores, super hip record stores, and like what is something that just in itself has an appeal uh-huh. um, that people will keep returning to, and then what is like okay, this is like throwaway, or we're right. never going to access it again that's I think that's hard to tell.
0: So do you think if it were I guess MP3s of a child's first words, it would hold more value than just tapes? Do you think it's strictly the medium that's like it's the the usefulness of the medium?
2: I think our for older folks, yeah, I think the stumbling block is like I have tapes. yeah, I don't have a tape player.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It sounds exhausting to either track a tape player down. I don't understand the computer well enough to digitize it, which means right. I have to go find someone. <laughs> so I think it's just like this is hard yeah. and <laughs> gonna take a really yeah. long time. This is yeah.
0: hard. This so, is this is tough.
2: But again, speculation. Yeah. Talk about a lot of things I don't really know yet. Yeah. I'm just waiting to get an invite to like a show where all the photos were taken on like a really old razor. and it's gonna like suddenly be like hip and nostalgic and cool because like time does a lot for something having value because there's it is documentation even if it is someone's like selfies from 2007 like that is interesting to look back on um so yeah Mark my words. We will all be at a show with teeny, <laughs> teeny, tiny little prints from someone's oh, early man. camera phone, featuring
1: Kayla Jones. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> mm. I mean, Your I pink do want razor with the with the. <laughs> the oh, with the, okay. the okay. First
2: of all, I was a strictly black
1: or silver razor person <laughs> because
2: even back then, I was trying to be like super cool designer.
1: But <laughs> I want the black razor. It's more sleek. Mm-hmm. It's like you have four friends.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it had those photo booth pictures. On them like the the Hello Asian Hello Kitty like oh, yeah. you know what I'm talking about yeah. oh, Pika Pika yeah the Pika Pika yeah, yeah no I, I I can definitely see that probably that gap is going to be a lot smaller you know bring up nostalgia from the early like the mid aughts you know mm-hmm. so we just met each other I'm not hi. really hi <laughs> hey uh <laughs> uh what, what do you do like uh, I'm actually
2: I, a professional clown oh um, really
0: <laughs> you too no not no. <laughs> not to
2: diminish the work of clowns everywhere. I
0: I thought I saw you at the reunion
2: (laughs) (laughs) no um, so as I said it was with most creatives I have my hands in a few things Uh Um, for the most part I work in branding Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm a graphic designer by training right Um, and then I do a lot of like art direction for photo shoots but that can extend into copywriting event Uh design Um, I've worked a lot in fashion um, Uh and helping to form fashion companies Uh and Right now, I'm an Imagination Fellow at Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, so oh, I, I'm working with 20 other creatives and activists to try to answer the question, where is our public imagination?
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, what is the day-to-day like on that?
2: Uh, I'm a freelancer. Okay. So, it's a lot of coffee.
0: Okay.
2: yeah. (laughs) I work in my studio downtown, Uh which is nice. Um, And I work with a variety of clients, pretty much in what I call my day job. So the work that I hold office hours for uh, are mostly nonprofits, um, smaller startups, and a lot of like youth orgs and stuff. I used to work at a big firm with huge corporate clients, um, Mm -hmm. Wells Fargo, uh, Airlines, Uh uh Google, Sony, things like that. But I never had FaceTime with the clients. Uh-huh. And these were really big accounts with big opportunities, but like lots of politics, right? Um, very mainstream, so right. not very inclusive. Um, right. And as I said, I wasn't having conversations with clients or uh-huh. I guess what I would call end users of design your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went freelance, and I've been doing that for four years in order to start to have more human interactions, because mm-hmm. I think that informs design in a better way.
1: How has that experience been working more closely with your clients and like other people?
2: I think it's been great. Yeah. A lot of times on the corporate side of things, traditional firm, the client would speak to a few like representatives, like maybe a head creative director and usually a bunch of strategy people. And then they would determine what the core ideas were or the point of the project. And they would kind of hand us a one sheet brief. And then I would like make things to fulfill that and then pass it off to someone who would implement it in the real world. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of in an assembly line, yeah. um, and while there were really intelligent people bookending me and supporting me, and we still made good work, I still wanted to be more a part of the process of the creation, yeah. of understanding like who are these people, what are their goals, are we answering the right questions? If a designer's in the room during the strategy phase, how does that change the work? Does it make it better, more fulfilling? Are we thinking more holistically? So now I do a lot of workshopping with clients where we get in a room and I share my process with them. And I do think the work is better. I think people are happier. It incorporates more voices. Obviously, I'm one person. So my identities inform what I do. So having more people in the room, more people with different identities, different perspectives, different expertise always makes things better. And when I hear people talk, it helps me synthesize ideas in a better
0: way. During this whole tenure, were you working on personal projects as well? Yeah,
2: I am a workaholic. and some of the best and worst ways, um, in that I really love what I do. So oftentimes when I sit down to play, I end up like coming up with projects. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've always kind of had a day job and then like a night hustle. I've always picked up freelance, um, and then also just invented weird things to fill up my time, whether that was like selling things on Etsy or doing Mm -hmm. prints or a new photo project. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really bad at leisure time yeah. or I'm really good at filling leisure time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> with work. Yes. Yeah.
2: But it's hard because some of it is play.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to leisure well. Yeah. I've
2: actually, one of my goals as I move into my thirties is to actually find activities that are not projects that are actual leisure. Yeah. So I've been trying to make lists because my body is my tool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if I'm running it nonstop, I'm going to yeah. erode my tool a lot quicker and then I won't be able to do what I love. So it's how do I take care of that and understanding that even taking care of myself, like feeding myself, taking a long bath, taking yeah. a walk. Those are face in masks. service. Tons of face masks. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you got to do like 40 face masks yeah. a week to <laughs> yeah. just like cover <laughs> up the like botched pores of your soul. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So but when I when I feed that, I'm feeding my tool and then that aids the work, too. And that understanding, because before it would be like, oh, if I take a break or like if I just lay in bed and watch Netflix, I didn't get anything done. I didn't like better myself as an artist. It's like, no, you're a better artist because you rested. Yeah. So it is actually in service to the rest of the process.
1: So you basically you're giving yourself FOMO. Totally. <laughs> Fear of missing out on yourself. That's so millennial. Of Whoa. You. <laughs> yeah, that's very meta. Self that's very fomo. Yeah. self FOMO.
2: I'm so afraid. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, is that a cry for help?
2: I <laughs> think that's just like the rallying cry post twenty sixteen. I'm so afraid. Oh, of what man. it all?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Where is this going? Are you pretty good at leisure, Patrick? Um, that's a good question. I wasn't until recently. I also was working for a big client last year Mm -hmm. in a contract basis. But then after that was done, I told myself that I wanted to kind of like pivot my career a little bit back towards um, the things I started doing six, seven years ago. But then I ended up actually doing nothing for like the rest of that year. So that was from like September until January of this year. I pretty much just kind of, like, sat around, like, read a lot, did nothing. Yeah. And I hated myself for it. And mm-hmm. I just thought, like, you know, I'm not getting anywhere. And, like, I said I was going to book these shoots and, like, you know, be in my studio all the time and, like, working on the printers and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't do any of it. And I just thought, like, I'm this is it. My life's over. It's never going to happen. I have fully failed at everything. Like, it was pretty <laughs> dark. It was really dark.
2: I'm washed up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But then I got started this year and I realized that I was able to just hit the ground running. And I've, you know, not to go too deep into it, but I found like people I wanted to work with, clients that I'm more aligned with, collaborating with folks that I'm, you know, excited to collaborate with. And I think it was due to that time I spent. Because even though like I wasn't always working on something that was important to me, I'd essentially been running with a full schedule since my early 20s. And so to just have like four or five months where just like, okay, like I don't have to work. Thankfully, I have a little bit of money. And it just allowed me to just kind of like replenish, replenish, but also like refocus, refocus. And because I think that sometimes, especially people in our age group, we worry a lot Mm -hmm. about things that we can't control. Right. And so to like give myself the opportunity to not worry about anything, it reminded me of like what is important to me. Yeah. You know, and I'm still figuring that out. You know, I think we're all still figuring it out, but I have energy now to like reach for that.
2: I think it takes stepping outside of the hustle for a minute to reevaluate the value of the hustle. Mm-hmm. I think for our age group, particularly when we're seeing what everyone else is doing on social media yeah. constantly, there's this idea that like every second I'm not grinding is a waste or like I'm failing at like achieving my dreams because I'm not like working and traveling and hanging out with my friends and starting something new um, and being politically active. Um, And I think we get in this mentality as millennials, but also I think in the Bay Area, I think people in urban cities and creatives, there is this like, well, the work is going to dry up or someone's going to surpass me. I'm going to become irrelevant if I'm not like posting and active and collaborating. Mm -hmm. But when if you don't feed yourself, if you don't step out and reevaluate what do i actually want to do what am i actually interested in right. um is there value in this mm-hmm. constant showing of what i'm doing of working all the time mm-hmm. um, and i think you you have to get that perspective and then you can always dive back in the hustle will be there it's yeah. got, it's been there since the beginning of time it'll continue to be there and you got to feed yourself that's real <laughs> <laughs> but if you, you bring do it up a lot <laughs> but if you do i'm a freelancer i'm always like where is my money coming from but if you have <laughs> the comfort if you have a flush month or you have a supportive partner or you've got I don't know some really cheap rent somewhere like and you can take a step back and be like why am I actually grinding myself this hard. Mm-hmm. That's a really good question to keep asking. Yeah,
1: there's this idea of that was similar to what you were talking about earlier, but your art and life being like one and the same, mm-hmm. you know, like so that there's really no boundaries between the two. But somehow, I think what's lesser talked about is that balance between those two things. You know, I'm a photographer, and when I was younger, I was very drawn to like this group of New York photographers. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember seeing all their retrospectives as I got older. And basically they were all like horrible husbands and fathers. (laughs) 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 And uh, (laughs) it was just like, it was such a weird thing because it's like clearly they had no, You know their art and life balance was not terrible yeah it was terrible and we we
2: sell people the idea that like either you're going to be like tragically depressed because we have this idea that tragic depressed artist creates from pain and that's real Mm -hmm. or you're going to be poor forever but you'll be making something that matters
1: yeah i don't subscribe to those things though no
2: but there's also this idea and this is definitely gendered i'm gonna have to say that this idea that a man if his work is brilliant can be garbage at everything else in yeah. life. Yeah. Like, you can be a terrible husband, horrible father, crazy alcoholic, but if, like, the work is good, we'll still be like, he was a genius. Yeah. It's like, but he was mean. Yeah. like yeah. <laughs> He beat people. Or, yeah. you know, he, like, didn't help anybody out. Right. And it's like, where's... Where do we factor in, I guess, kindness, contributions, Mm -hmm. like social responsibility?
1: So what you're saying is it's not just about having a personal art and life balance, but it's how your art and life separately together influence the world around you, right?
2: Yeah, I think I'm more, I think we're set up to worship that old model, right? And I think we're beginning to question because we're really deep into... I think as a generation, as a cultural conversation at this time of shift, identity politics, right? And responsibility to each other and inclusivity and trying to grow and be better allies as human beings in like so many different spheres, right? And then you look at these heroes and we say, oh, wow, like they may have made really beautiful painting or really great films at the time, but did that further this conversation that like actually affects my health or the health of the people I care about? Mm -hmm. Is there a way to marry really dope genius artwork that also furthers a conversation. That also includes other people. That mm-hmm. fulfills not just me, but my community. Because if I make something really beautiful and all it serves is myself and hangs on a wall, like, right, I kind of don't care anymore. Right. Like it's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. But I also I I'm looking to see that die a little bit. Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
1: No, that totally does. Is that something that you're trying to accomplish uh, at YBCA? Uh,
2: yeah. So one of the reasons I signed up for, I had to write an essay auditioned for one of the reasons I was interested (laughs) in this fellowship is so much of my work is solitary yeah. I work for myself, I'm usually the design expert in the room, with clients, mm-hmm. so having a sense of community was really important, working with other creatives, other activists to think about how art can be more useful or how culture can influence change mm-hmm. politically and socially, which is, I think, the stance that YBCA is positioning themselves at as an art center is, like, how do we become a catalyst to use these tools and this language to actually create change? Um that's something that I feel like I'm always working towards in my work. And yeah, like I said, like I am always worried, like, where's my money coming from? Right. That's one piece, but it's like, can I get paid to do work that's also in service of contributing to larger social change Mm -hmm. um, that isn't actively destructive to the identities that I am? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a queer woman of color. So Oftentimes capitalism is not accounting for me or like actively stomping on my face. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do I counteract that and still get paid? Yep. And still make dope work.
1: Yeah. So a lot of hoops to, to It's jump a lot of
2: hoops, but you can get through them.
1: Yeah. How's it been so far?
2: I'm doing pretty good. I feel good about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean I'll buy it.
2: I have one or one or two. There's like always those clients that are like, you pay my bills, right? Yeah. And like I don't care about anything else that you do, and yeah. you're probably not a great company. But I, I've worked with a lot of a lot more um, women-owned companies, and companies owned by people of color over the last few years. And that work has been absolutely fulfilling. And I've watched their businesses grow, and their outreach efforts double. Mm-hmm. And I feel really great about the work I'm making. Mm-hmm. And it's been this really beautiful partnership. Um, And I think there's a lot of people who are shifting as we're seeing more people who have been left out of conversations get into positions of leadership Mm -hmm. um, and making conscious choices um, that the conversation is starting to change. So like things I would have pitched at my old firm or like in a room full of white men where they're like,
1: I don't know, this seems a little
2: much. (laughs) (laughs) And I can watch everyone get uncomfortable if I'm sitting in this like... Group and like everyone's like a lady or like a person of color, and they're like, Yeah, Rad, let's do that. No, yeah, we yeah. agree, this should <laughs> definitely be diverse, you know. Like, yeah. it that and that feels better. Um, just even on that level,
0: it, it's so interesting you bring that up. Our, our guest last week, Halo, he used to work for you know Bleach Report, like, NFL. I was listening to that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he brought up the idea of you know lack of diversity in Ludacrismas, <laughs> yeah.
2: I, I have PTSD by association just from hearing about Luda
0: Christmas yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so it's kind of refreshing to hear you come in and seeing you're noticing a shift in the paradigm where Well,
2: and that but that's also like I am actively choosing clients, gotcha. right? That yeah. like either align with my personal politics or uh-huh. like have sought me out because they know who I am. And that's like a privilege and a gift that I've had to like work towards and yeah. it's been like through word of mouth, but I'm also seeing more opportunities. I mean, I think I was talking, we had coffee, Patrick, and I was talking to you. It's been really cool through both technology and I think where we're at socially to see all these independent magazines and collectives. Um, My sister's a part of a really cool collective in New York, Um, all these independent art shows, um, t-shirt brands, where they're like people of color, queer folks, Owning them, producing them, putting them out in the world and consuming them. Everything feels really ripe, I guess, right now.
0: Is this something you feel is just kind of isolated to progressive cities like the Bay Area
1: or New York? Or do you see it happening elsewhere? I
2: think those are epicenters.
1: But the internet helps sort of smooth that out a lot, right? Because you can follow someone's art group that's in Wichita Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: be completely on the level with them because Mm -hmm. that platform kind of like evens that out for you. But so it's like minds being able to find like minds just because of the facility through technology. But I think to your point about just the sake of just creating something to create it, even if it's only serving like a small section of, or a very small community, Mm -hmm. it's important to have those, um, those markers for other groups in a similar vein to fall back on and be yeah. like hey they're doing that and something I always noticed when he used to publish books and I was in the art fair circuit I remember people coming up to my table and then hearing about a book I released or something and then them saying like oh that's cool that you're like a brown guy I mean they, they, <laughs> they use their own words for it Yeah, yeah yeah but it was just like it it's, was something
2: I see that you're ethnic
1: yes and i'm into it that was one of them (laughs) to go back to this whole struggle of being an artist and all that a lot of these people that i interacted with in that time it was like they were struggling and they just wanted to find someone else that was struggling Mm -hmm. and then just be like we're good Mm -hmm. you know and then that was enough to like the next fair which was like a few months later and be like hey we're still good we're still good
2: visibility is really important yeah and yeah I mean, I talk a lot about, I'm a designer, right? So I make art and visuals that carry messages or have like a certain goal. Fine art is a little different. And I do dabble in that space too, where I think the personal expression in and of itself can be political and be its own goal. But I am often thinking about how I can better align politics and politics of representation. Um, design is really white and really male. Mm -hmm. and really authorless. There's a lot of design you see out there. You don't know who made it. Mm -hmm. You have no idea what they look like. Maybe it's a credit from a firm, but for the most part, brands keep their own credit. And I've been having more conversations, particularly with young women and young women of color of like, well, where are the examples? How can I be something I can't see? And I've had people be like, please take me to coffee and tell you what you do. And I'm like, I've kind of had to figure it out for myself. Like, where are these mentors? Where are these icons? And so I think you sitting at a table in front of something that you made Mm -hmm. at a fair and being like, I made this thing. Even if someone's like, the thing's okay. Or like, it's not my jam. Just being like, whoa, like we can do that. Or like this guy's doing it, which means like more of us can. And like your existence is a radical act. Like you living in the world, making art and doing what you do that in itself is like totally healing
0: and yeah. totally radical yeah. and so important. Yeah. You're seeing it with black Panther. Like Dude.
2: Right now. <laughs> Wakanda forever.
0: Wakanda forever. We all just made X motion. So. Oh, sorry. You, know, you can't, you can't, you can't see that on the podcast, but
2: you felt it.
0: You felt it. in your heart. Yeah. If the idea is that representation matters, how do you shine a spotlight on designers?
2: That's an interesting question. I think I go back and forth because I think there's some people who have like a style, right? Mm -hmm. And you can say like that is definitely something that Kayla made. Sure. And that's kind of a stamp of authorship. There's also this idea that good design should be invisible, right? Like you shouldn't call attention to the hand that made it or you should be calling attention to something more important like the message.
0: Interesting. So there's that. Yeah.
2: And that does need to happen at times. Um, And then there's this like liminal space that I'm exploring more and more where it's design almost as art object or the message of it having to contain a piece of who made it and that being part of the impact. So I've been trying to think to myself, like so much of design comes from a European standard. Um, sans serif faces are the most beautiful, lots of white space. This is yeah. how we do photography. This is how we do layout. Right. When you look at countries of color, communities of color, mm. um, like you look at design coming out of like India, okay. um, not huge on white space tons of color, fonts with flavor, all these kinds of things. And we look at that as lower level design. Why? If it communicates to their audience, if it vibes with them on a level that we don't get, but it doesn't meet these standards, it's suddenly bad design. And I would watch these design competitions go down, and everything that wins is coming out of like London. The U.S. Mexico City is doing some really interesting things and they're Mm -hmm. kind of pushing the boundaries. But I am like, okay, but where is Indonesia? Where is India? Where is Taiwan? Like, where are these other countries where they use color differently, they use language differently? And so their design will not follow this idea of good design. And I've been thinking, what does what is like Afrofuturistic design? What is African-American design without doing, like, African fonts, right? Or, like, the black people palette, which yeah. is, like, kind of orange, brown, and purple <laughs> for whatever reason. Or, like, African flags. I'm like, what what would black, like, definitively black design look like? What does that look like for me? And so that requires me to inject some of myself into the work, right? Yeah. And remove a little bit of that, like, authorlessness, which is I keep, I have this phrase in my head that keeps repeating and I'll probably do something with it. White space is the tool of the white man.
0: That's so ah. real. Well, yeah.
2: Whiteness functions on the fact that it's normal and invisible, right? Yeah, so that goes kind of back to what I was saying with like design should be authorless, right? So there's this idea that you wouldn't see the hands that built it yeah. in it because that's what normal is, is to kind right. of be invisible, but if you bring blackness to something. You almost need to have signifiers, right, that say that like it's not white, it's not devoid of an author, it's not devoid of a culture. Like what does that look like? What do those layouts look like? What do those design choices yeah. look like? And how do you separate them out with a filter that isn't based on like a European standard of good design?
0: Right. So is that just institutional changes where it's like
2: I think yeah, it's I think yeah. it's letting more designers of color into uh-huh. more visible spaces. Uh-huh. Um, and I also think it's designers of color n- working to inject their own aesthetic into the things that they're making and not replicating this idea of what good is right. or what sells just to like please an audience or be allowed to sit at the table. Like, As with almost anything else that exists, we have to start making our own tables, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you would think that good designers would have the ability to code switch, right? To know both languages,
2: and I think a lot do, and I see yeah. that in personal work. Uh-huh. But I am like, how do we start to like Influence push the that commercial. towards right, like yeah. mainstream? Mm-hmm. It's more interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it, it's so interesting that you talk about uh, whiteness being the tool of the white man. You know, stripping <laughs> you of your identity. Yes. Uh, in my head, I like my first thought, of course, is hip hop where it's very ego driven like you're not gonna find an anonymous MC you know <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> yeah. Graffiti, the whole idea of graffiti is putting your fucking name on the yeah, wall. It's you your mark, <laughs> yeah and so uh, um, I'm trying to think of where I'm going with this is in my opinion, hip hop is just too limiting because mm-hmm. it is a youth voice. I I don't know. Were you a hip hop kid growing up? I was
2: not. Okay. I mean, I I've had my hip hop moments, Got and you. I've never been far from like mainstream sure. rap and hip hop. Sure. Um, but I was busy trying to be like emo and alternative in the suburbs. <laughs> well,
0: he, as I a mean, even in that lane, like <laughs> alternative culture, you know, yeah. like anything not the not the mainstream, like
2: almost all alternative culture. I don't want to limit it. Most of it, all most counterculture starts with youth
0: right. and starts as a piece of youth culture, right. right? To bring it back to the question, it's how do we age into this? How do we grow up? You know, now that we're having access to these spaces, how do we make it our own? And I, I know that's the that's what we're trying to figure it oh. out. But is there anything concrete? you know, that we could be doing as artists to age gracefully.
2: What does aging gracefully, I guess, define that for me?
0: It would be exactly what you're talking about. Being able to implement your own identity Mm -hmm. in both your personal and your professional work.
2: I think in some respects. So I was never like quite a punk. I was always like punk adjacent, punk punk, (laughs) punk tangential. (laughs) But I've often wondered, like, how do you age punk, right? Yeah, Because it's one of those things where, like, yeah, if you are, like, sagging your pants and have a backwards hat at a certain point, at a certain age, people are like, well, okay, like, what are you doing? (laughs) It seems unfair. But I think one of the things that both of those cultures do is they don't ask permission. Yeah. And I think you age out and then suddenly you're like, oh, got to get a haircut, got to dress the part because I got to get a job. Right. Right. Or like I need professional esteem or I need people to just stop hassling me on the street or whatever it is. And we do start asking for more permission. Uh And I think a lot of that's tied to capitalism. And going back into the system, which I think like underground hip hop and A lot of like when hip hop was new and definitely punk rock is very like anti-capitalist society. When you get with the program, I think you start to ask more permission or even like couch yourself in rules that you believe exist. If I didn't have to ask if it was okay to like bring blackness or queerness into my design, if I just started doing it, I might find that people actually super vibe with that. And if not, I'll weed out the ones that don't. And then I can start to find the people that do. And that's how I think I build change, as opposed to stepping in line and uh-huh. replicating something that already exists and in and of itself being inherently biased from the point of education to the point of dissemination. So maybe fuck shit up. Is that the short answer?
0: I can let capitalism catch up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Dude, <ugh>. <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I need more face masks for, capital, for the capitalism yeah, issue. <laughs> gotta.
0: You know, aging gracefully as a b boy. It's like, yeah. <laughs> At that point, you're just is that your to, uh,
2: is that your autobiography.
0: Aging gracefully. How to age gracefully as a b boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> just Reyes Become Jay Z. <laughs> <laughs> Was he a B-boy? Uh, he was a dope boy.
2: My favorite thing about Jay-Z right now is he has, like, uncle hair. It's, like,
0: yeah. long yeah, and, yeah like, yeah, cushy. Yeah. Like. yeah. I mean, that's definitely, I got a lot of money here. Like. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like, no
2: one's going to tell me. This yeah. is not looking good. If
0: you if you want to talk about someone unapologetic, yeah. he is that guy. <laughs> um, it is something to, uh, important to think about. Like, for me, I think it's more of a negotiation. You know, you're always going back and forth of, mm-hmm. like, this is my creative face mask where I can age basically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then here's here's what I do for the check, you know? Yeah.
2: And I guess I can't put down the idea. Can you do both?
0: Yeah. I I think, you know, part of that youth culture is the concept of selling out. and Totally. You know, and you kind of have to let go of that when you have to take care of, you know, practical things to exist Mm. in a capitalist culture, you know, like
1: you have to pay rent, you know, you can't pay rent on your rep. No. Well, I think this goes back to the whole self-care thing. As we continue to grow and the world is still rapidly changing, we still have to remain solid in who we are. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what are our principles? How do my principles change as I get older? Mm -hmm. You know, and I've taken to that by journaling actually just sort of like having unfiltered thoughts stream out of me because those may never manifest themselves as projects or as work. And sometimes it just might sound kind of whiny, but (laughs) I think it's like, (laughs) it's, I need that, you know, to like understand. And I did that a lot when I wasn't working, you know, because it was just like, you need to know where you stand in a way. I think constantly knowing where you stand allows you to age more gracefully in anything you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it seems simple. But I think that's a start. If we wrap ourselves up too much with the things that are around us, which is needed, you may lose yourself in that.
2: We spend a lot of time looking at ourselves through the lens of the external.
1: Right. And yeah, I think a right.
2: lot, I mean, a lot of that social media, I don't want to sound like like an old person that's like, well, all these kids with their selfies, because yeah. I think selfies are awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we do, right? It's like so much of what we do now is observed in yeah. some capacity, even yeah. if we're not ourselves posting it. And so there is this observing self that is looking to either others for approval or, or critique Mm -hmm. And it is like, what do we keep that's just internal and how do we root ourselves from the inside out as opposed outside in? Um, And I think journaling is a really good way to do that.
1: But it is also a balance, too. I think those that are too much within themselves, I know I know a few of my colleagues, they prefer to work more internally, which is fine, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think every now and then because I'm not I'm not a selfie guy. (laughs) (laughs) But every now and then, <laughs> you gotta you gotta put that out there just to see. Not because I'm vain; I'm a little vain, but I think it's you, you need to put that out in the world to show that and just see like what the response is. You know, yeah, um, that could be a selfie or something new you're cooking up, a mix you're doing, or something. No, you know you what? Know? It's
0: funny you bring that up, because I, I posted a picture my friend took of me DJing, which oh, had yeah. like good
1: lighting. And it's yeah. the
0: most likes I've gotten yeah. <laughs> ever. And I was like, oh, this is what that, you want. Oh, no. and, and,
1: and that might do something very, very small for you, where you're just like, yeah. but it's better than not posting it, I think. Sure. You know? Sure. I
2: think the selfie is a really great way to exercise agency mm-hmm. over one's own image. Uh-huh. And I feel this definitely counts more for marginalized folks. And I think particularly women who are supposed to be objects that are looked at or have been like the subjects of paintings or photos. When a girl gets to control her own image and the way that it's presented and the way that it gets put out into the world, that's yeah. reclamation in a yeah. really big way totally. of the image of self. It's self love. It's I think in some ways it's a radical act.
1: Absolutely. Also, too, I don't knock anybody if they are nice enough to let you look at their camera roll and they have like
2: a rows billion selfies of
1: just like the same picture. Mm-hmm. They're like, I have to find the right <laughs> angle.
2: It's a, process, it's a okay? process.
1: Yeah. Oh, man.
2: Like any good work, it takes time, effort, iteration. Mm-hmm.
1: Don't let anyone shame you, mom, into taking as many selfies as you want.
2: Oh, <laughs> I love mom selfies Yeah, because it's. It's a little bit different, like our generation's very much like I found my light and my angle and yeah. my background, and yeah. like moms yeah. are like, "Here I am,
1: here I and go. I think
2: I look great." i <laughs> like, "I love this. The angle's all fucked up. It's a lit. teachable
0: moment of uh, self
1: love. It is it's just it's like so
0: beautiful.
2: Good. They're like, like, Oh, I need to put my face in the world right now.'
0: And yeah. I'm like, "Yes, you do." Yeah. <laughs> in that moment, mom is Jay Z. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's 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 really dope. Uh, you bringing that up, I'm just like, oh shit! Like, you know, opening up your camera roll—that's pretty vulnerable. <laughs> like, what
1: explanations? Are so you I, a
2: swiper? Or yeah. Are you just swiping? No. What's going I on? I have
1: I have more decorum than that. Okay, yeah. but my mom, though, Ooh. I'm sorry, I'm going in on my mom's right now, but my mom. <laughs> so I take a lot of pictures of my niece. Yep, beautiful child. Yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous. My mom would be like, oh, show me some pictures of Marley. And so she'll, like, open my phone. I didn't tell her there's more photos, but she just starts swiping. Oh. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> hey, whoa, hey, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, geez, I'm sorry. <laughs> With the low-key attitude. Yeah,
2: I. Uh, it's more like I'm trying to protect you yeah. from some stuff you yeah, don't want to yeah.
1: see. Don't put that idea in her head. <laughs> She is listening. Yeah, she is really listening. Our moms are our only listeners. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's not true. There's at least four. At least four.
1: four mothers? Four other
0: mothers listening? We're the outlet for mothers to see what their creative children are doing. <laughs> it's
2: great. Unnecessary work.
0: Yeah. Did you go uh, talk about like what you're doing in your personal projects right now? I I don't think we touched on that.
2: What am I doing in my personal projects? Um, I feel like art has always been therapy, right? Like it's a really good way to like work out what you're feeling. But I've been more conscious about creating, I think, just for the sake of myself. Because again, as a designer, I'm often creating in service to others or someone else's message. So a couple of things I've done. I opened like a teeny tiny little shop online for like one-off stuff I made this set of affirmation cards particularly for black women women of color queer folks yeah um, and my sister was getting up every morning and writing affirmations in a journal with her coffee which is a really great practice right. um, to kind of get her out into the world and they were like you know you are beautiful you are powerful but the job she was working at the time was in an office of all white people publishing company in New York. She was the only person who was of any size as well. And in case you don't know, my sister Jasmine Jones has neon orange hair and dresses as what she has taken as a compliment. One of my friends said she looks like an adult rug rat. So she's very, <laughs> very much her own person. Love you, Jazz. Um, <laughs> uh, and she was getting annihilated by how much energy, strength, effort, and decorum it took to go through her job every day with all the microaggressions and education that had to happen. And so I was like, what would it look like to create affirmations for her, for people that literally have to put on armor to walk out the door and imagine themselves into a thriving existence. And so more than just you are beautiful, you are capable. These cards are like, you don't owe anyone an explanation of your identity today. That's okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. you deserve to maximize your sleigh. No mm. one can dull your shine. So they're a little bit more specific. Um, and I've sold quite a few of those. And I'm watching teachers and social workers and therapists use them, particularly with youth. People give them to friends. And that's been really great. Um, and like T-shirts. I've got tote bags and stuff coming. And then another thing I started is kind of some just amateur still life photography of like things in my house, setting up and shooting in a window with colored paper. And I'll spend Hours just arranging and playing with my camera, but they've started to become almost a visual journal of ideas, which has been an interesting practice. And that might turn into a zine, but again, trying to not make things into projects that are right. leisure. Right. <laughs> really bad at it, <laughs> but getting better. Anyway, that zine drop it. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll post a link in the info below. Cool. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, I'm pretty bad. I, I I'm trying to relearn how to just do shit for fun, and yeah,
2: uh,
0: that's that that whole balance is something I'm trying to figure out, especially since everything that I do for fun eventually becomes work. You know, I've fallen into that pattern, which is, you know, that's just a cue that I got to find something else to do that's fun.
2: Yeah. I feel last year I had kind of this question that kept popping up and I was like, ooh, something's wrong here if you keep asking this. It's like, but it's not billable hours or like, how do we make it billable hours? Yeah. And I was like, okay, one, you're not a lawyer. So like,
0: (laughs) chill
2: out. And then two, like, what is this scarcity mindset? This idea that like the work's going to dry up, the money's going to go away. I don't have enough money to not do this. Like what, where is that coming from? And exploring that a little bit more and then getting realistic about it. Because I definitely was doing that like, well, how can this become work?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: Or is it work? And if it's not work, does that lessen its value?
0: Yeah, does that invalidate it? Right. Yeah, and, and that's something Halo talked about last week when he was talking about distortion of static, which was huge for and influential for people like me and Patrick. But yeah. hearing him talk about it, he had those questions like, because we weren't making money off it, does it invalidate the work we did? And, you know, I think a lot of it's tied to what we were talking about earlier with capitalism, yeah. just because everything functions around what we're able to buy. And
2: yeah. I mean, I, I pitched a project. Um, I think that. Actually, we'll see the light of day. I think it'll be part of the YBCA um, show in June, which is just a healing space. Like, actually just a space for people to come in and put down the outside world, particularly put down any oppression or, like, the pressure of capitalism and just replenish. And one of the questions someone asked me in critique was, how does this scale? (laughs) Whoa. And I was like, uh, it doesn't? And it's not... post to yeah. and like, like but like how does it make money how do you replicate it and i was like whoa like that is a question that we jumped to very quickly yeah and for good reason obviously right we sure. all could use a little more change in our pockets to live our lives but um yeah. in pitching an idea that was purely just for people to rest uh-huh. the first idea question was like but like wh- why like what's the worth of it yeah, yeah like yeah. why would we do that if it doesn't scale yeah um, and I was taken aback like whoa but I mean I do that to myself in my own work right, right? so like do we stop thinking about how something scales as its measure of value yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what is your response to that
2: I believe in conversations as a place for education but not at my own expense gotcha so I did some blinking and then <laughs> I said <laughs> I'll think about that, and I kind of don't think that's the point. Gotcha. Um, And I kind of left it at that because if I gave you the whole rundown and explained that it was something where people are supposed to rest, and that's where you went instantly, I also don't know if we're on the same page.
0: Yeah, they're. I mean, they're not doing the work, you know. And And it's not for them, maybe, you know.
2: Probably wasn't.
0: Uh, Is there anything you want to plug, or anything we should be on the lookout for?
2: I'm so bad at this part. Really? I'm trying to get do better. You, do you
0: do a lot of podcasts? Is this no. a, is this a conversation that you have often? This
2: is a conversation I have often. I don't do a lot of like public facing got you things as myself. Yeah. And I'm trying to get more comfortable with that because of some of the things we talked about earlier about me recognizing that young people and other designers of color and women of color and queer people needed to see me, to know that, you know, fam out here. Yeah. Fam doing this. We got you. Yeah, we got um, you. And. I also think where I'm moving in my work is going to be more informed by my voice and who I am. Right. I have done like talks with a lot of youth. I went and spoke to some young people at Baycat a while ago, oh, okay. yeah. which was awesome, and that's a really great program about branding and how branding gets messages out, which was really fun because usually when I talk to people like that, it's more client facing, and we're talking about like, for example, Apple does this or like Starbucks does that, but in Instead, we talked about relevant differentiation between Beyoncé and Solange.
0: Nice. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> which relevant differentiation is offering something or answering a question that consumers have. So, like, I want a musical artist that's awesome, or in the case of like Lyft or Uber, I need to get somewhere and taxis aren't helping me out. But doing it in a way that's uh, relevant to the audience and different from your competitors. Right. So we talked about how Beyoncé and Solange are in the same field, but there's huge differences in like. Their visual presentation and their mm-hmm. sonic sound, and like the kinds of venues they play versus like stadiums or museums, and how two people from one family are both doing something that's super sick and very awesome mm-hmm. and talking about representations of black womanhood mm-hmm. in ways that feel distinctly authentic to who they are and themselves. So that was really fun. Um, I'm gonna be on a panel March 6th in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna get
1: this wrong. I will have the link in the bio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be
2: talking about some of the kind of the things we talked about here with two other folks, all working women artists of color, Tope. kind of discussing process, how to combine your day job with your night hustle and mm-hmm. your passion and those kinds of things.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But yeah, see, this is why I'm bad at this, because I'm like, I'm going to be here, I think. Doing something, I think.
1: Well, this is part of the process. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens when you got uh, a million hustles going on.
2: So many hustles, so, many hustles. so, many
1: hustles. so little time, so <laughs> many hustles, so little face masks.
2: No, so many face masks. So many face masks.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on our show. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you
2: for having me. Yeah. This is really fun. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> we can finally put these X's down. Oh
1: <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh,
2: uh. Woo!